Hello, it's TechBiter Worldwide for the week of August 26, 2007. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in far less than an hour because we leave out the sports, the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Timing is everything. Somebody once told me that. Actually, he told me that several times. But timing is everything. Just last week, for example, I started a new feature called Stupid Spam of the Week. And this week I got a spam that can't fit in the Stupid Spam of the Week category. But it's certainly one that you ought to know about. You've probably seen a bunch of these already. The message has a general format that's based on looking like a login verification. Looks reasonable enough. The spam isn't looking for a user ID and a password. In fact, it is providing you one. The first one I received came from Job Search Pros. And it said login verification. Here is your membership info for Job Search Pros. It gave me an account number, a login ID, a temporary password, and said, please change your login, change your login information. Click on the secure link or paste it into your browser. The secure link was an IP address. Well, there's a warning flag right there. So I looked at the message just a little more closely. First of all, I'm not looking for a job, so I hadn't registered with Job Search Pros. And as I looked at the message, I noticed that it came from user... T-G-V-B-T-U-X-T-S-F. That looks like something I'd find on an eye chart. Hmm. And it came from Singapore. Well, I'm certainly not looking for a job in Singapore. But it's that IP thing. As far as I'm concerned, that's the kiss of death. No legitimate operator will ever send you to an IP address. And as I looked at the message a little more closely, I noticed that it didn't include my name anywhere. That's another giveaway. My name should have been there. And it had a generic user ID, user 1566. Now, just about any service that you sign up for these days is going to let you pick your own user ID. It's not going to assign something like user 1566. And the password was ridiculously weak, UN149. Nothing that assigns a password would assign one that week. Now, I hadn't signed up for anything like this, so that was the first giveaway. But what if I had signed up for some sort of job search previously? Would I have clicked on it? Well, the answer is no, I wouldn't have because of that IP address thing instead of a real domain name. But this looks legitimate, which makes it particularly dangerous. What happens if you click on it? I said I didn't click on it, and I didn't, but I do have an application that allows me to take a look at what a website will serve if someone clicks on the link. It's an application that will not run anything that the website tries to throw at it. Well, what I found is that when you get to the page... It tries to run applet.exe. That undoubtedly attempts to install something on your computer you don't want there. And it tries to run a JavaScript program. Uh, That may be something just to keep you busy while applet.exe executes, but I suspect it's something a little more involved than that, simply because of what's in the JavaScript. 
Okay, so maybe you aren't looking for a job, and job search pros wouldn't be something that you'd fall for. But what about, here's your membership info for web cooking. Thank you for joining Funny Files. Are you ready to have fun at entertaining pros? Are you ready to have fun at online hookup? Welcome to Poker World. Thank you for joining Ringtone Heaven. We are glad you joined Webtoons. We're so happy you joined Cool Picks. Those are just a few of the other message subject lines. The obvious way to avoid being fooled by these tricks is to treat any message you receive with suspicion. And if you didn't request something, don't click on a link. As much as I love Adobe's PDF, Portable Document Format, the files are sometimes problems. They're ubiquitous. You find them on websites, you find them in offices, you'll find them used extensively in the printing industry, both in pre-press work and for files that are actually used to create the plates that are then used to print newspapers, magazines, brochures, and all sorts of other stuff. The primary shortcoming to a PDF document is that if you don't have the full version of Adobe Acrobat, it's hard to extract the text, and sometimes you need to do that. Why? Well, here's an example. Company supplies you a product or a service, something that you use in your business. Maybe it's something you resell. They have a PDF flyer that describes the product or service. You'd like to use some of the text in one of your publications or on a website. All you have to do is extract the text, get it into a word processor. But without the full version of Acrobat, How can you do that? Well, Microsoft Word 2007 can create a PDF directly, but it certainly can't open one. I tried opening one, and the result was less than impressive. You'll see the uh, screenshot of that on the TechBiter Worldwide website. So, okay, the easiest and perhaps best way to extract the text is to use the full version of Adobe Acrobat. The problem with that is Adobe Acrobat costs a minimum of $300, and depending on which version you purchase, might cost up to $900. That might be just a little out of your range. Wouldn't it be nice if there'd be a $50 or $60 package that's capable of giving you the text, either in plain text or Word-compatible format? Well, turns out that there is. It's made by DocuDesk, a European company. It's called UnPDF. It's very simple, easy to use. You open UnPDF, locate a PDF file that you'd like the text from, open the file. First choice you have to make is whether you want plain text, which would be no formatting, or if you'd like the output to retain some of the formatting. Next step, you determine how the application should group the text. On my test document, I didn't like the way the best match option appeared to be grouping the text. It seemed to be breaking it up into too many little pieces, so I selected inline flowing. You can also decide whether you want to keep or discard any pictures or any lines and vector art. Once you've done that, push the button and you get a file in Word readable format. There is one shortcoming. Each line ends with a paragraph marker. Now, if you use the full version of Adobe Acrobat to do the same thing, you won't get those paragraph markers at the end of every line. But if you use Adobe Acrobat, the full version, and you use the two-page flyer that I use as a test, the text will be output on four pages. On PDF, got a lot closer. It output the text looking a lot like it did on the page, 
and on just two pages. So it's short of perfection, but then so is Adobe Acrobat, actually. If you look at the innards of a PDF document, which is actually a postscript file with a little wrapper around it, you'll see that it's more than a little challenging to do what UnPDF actually does. Sometimes, in fact in a lot of cases, individual letters are placed according to XY coordinates. So extracting the text isn't really an easy job. For example, on the TechBiter Worldwide website, you'll see an example of what's required in PostScript to create a simple line of text that says labor cost per hour, and then there's a tab with dots in it, a dollar sign, and 2851. Creating that one line of text in a PDF document takes about 10 lines of PostScript. So that's the kind of challenge that DocuDesk was up against when they were creating UnPDF. UnPDF is a good, solid, reliable application, easy to use, does what it says it'll do. If you need to extract text from a PDF with UnPDF, you will be left with a little cleanup work. But the cleanup work is going to take far less time than manually typing the text or scanning it, at least if your typing is anything like mine, and the results are going to be a lot more accurate. It's about a $60 program. Started this week's program with a spam. Well, here's the stupid spam of the week. This one comes from the marketing department. It's sent to me at an address I would never, ever give to someone. It's one that I use only for registrars when I register a domain name, clients at blind.com. The subject line is The Free Shopping Discovery, Our Crazy Marketing Department. Here's a quick run-through of the text. Pier 1 and IKEA has some of the coolest products in the world. Think about this. You can shop for free at any one of these shops. Yep, that's right. We discovered a way for you to simply shop for free. I don't know how the marketing department did it, but they did. We work for you, user. Stop what you're doing. Go to this site and check it out now. Well, what's wrong with this one? First of all, there's the sender. It came from marketing department. Okay, marketing department, fine. What about the actual address? Well, it's a malformed address, an address that would not work. Gaylord Ortega at Nengis.clamatorial. It ends there. No dot, no top-level domain. The address would not work. As I already said, the message was sent to an address that I use for certain specific communications. That's a pretty amateurish mistake. Subject line, okay, none too intelligent, but what the heck. I'll be charitable. I'll give a pass on that one. Pier 1 and Ikea has. Well, all I can figure is the spammer flunked 7th grade English. A plural subject. You can always tell a plural subject because there's that little word there called and. So you got more than one thing. It's a plural subject. Requires a plural verb. Pier 1 at Ikea has. Sorry, should be have. Most legitimate businesses don't make mistakes like that. You can shop for free at any one of these shops. Well, a native speaker of American English would never say any one of these shops when only two shop names are being discussed. Uh, there's also the use of that's without an apostrophe. It is a contraction. In the same sentence, a comma splice. One sentence ends with five exclamation points. Now, if you're a middle school student and you have a crush on somebody, fine. 
use five exclamation points. Legitimate marketing operations don't. Here's the one that I really like. We work for you, dollar sign user. The spammer is not only illiterate when it comes to English, but he is illiterate when it comes to Perl. Dollar user should have been replaced by my name or at least my email address. The loser who wrote this one wasn't able to accomplish even that simple task. Then there's this run-on sentence. Stop what you're doing, go to the site and check it out now. There should be some sort of punctuation after stop what you're doing. Maybe he could have used one of those exclamation points from the previous section where there were five exclamation points. Just take one or two of those and put it down at the end of stop what you're doing. Uh, but in that sentence, there's stop what you're doing, Y-O-U-R. That's a possessive, guys. You wanted Y-O-U apostrophe R-E, you are. And then there's goofy random capitalization all through the message. That would probably influence my opinion about the dim bulb who created the spam. In nerdly news, personal data belonging to hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of users, has been stolen from the big job board, Monster.com. According to Symantec, usernames, email addresses, home addresses, and phone numbers were uploaded to a remote web server from Monster.com. Symantec says phishing emails to Monster.com users are realistic-looking because they contain personal information about the victims. That makes these messages extremely dangerous. The phishing email encourages users to download a job seeker tool, and that job seeker tool turns out to be a program that then encrypts files on the victim's computer and leaves a ransom note. You have to pay if you want your files decrypted. This is a time when backup is really important. Monster.com spokesman Patrick Manzo says it's really not a hack of Monster's security, but a misuse of legitimate customer credentials. And Manzo says it's really not a case of identity theft either because the information that was stolen was similar to what can be found in a phone book. Here's something bound to annoy AT&T and Apple. A New Jersey teen with a soldering iron and no shortage of smarts has unlocked his iPhone so that it will work with a carrier other than AT&T. So far, neither Apple nor AT&T has had any comment The good news is that there's apparently no U.S. law that prohibits tampering with cell phones and unlocking them. Wow, how could we have a country and not have a law against that? Have laws against everything else. The Library of Congress in 2006 excluded cell phone unlocking from coverage under what I have previously called the Asinine Digital Millennium Copyright Act. A DMCA has been used to prosecute, and many would say persecute, people who modify game consoles to play a wider variety of games. Well, this kid, George Hotz of Glen Rock, New Jersey, posted information about the process on his blog late last week. The hack isn't easy, and it requires both hardware and software modifications. Make a misstep with a soldering iron, and you'll probably destroy your phone. Hotz included a video on his blog. It shows an iPhone working on the T-Mobile network. There are only two U.S. mobile networks that use the technology built into the iPhone. That's AT&T and T-Mobile. Hot says he hopes now that somebody will take what he's done and go a little bit further and find a way to unlock the phone using only software. The iPhone is sold only in the U.S., but it can be made to work on European networks by copying information from the subscriber identity module, the SIM card. That's a chip that identifies the subscriber to the cell phone network. 
The iPhone's built-in camera and its ability to access Wi-Fi networks is retained under this hack, but the visual voicemail feature is lost. Hot says it took him about 500 hours to perfect his method. He put his hacked $500 phone on sale on eBay, and by the end of the week, the high bid was above $3,000. It's not a bad summer's work for a kid who's going to start school at the Rochester Institute of Technology. Ran across an interesting story in the Mercury News this week about Netflix and Blockbuster. They are, of course, engaged in a big battle. Both have cut prices, both have modified offerings recently, but Netflix seems, in my opinion anyway, to have the edge right now. This week, Netflix founder and CEO Reed Hastings talked with the San Jose Mercury News, and he suggested that Netflix is going to win the battle. Well, what would you expect him to say? Hastings is looking beyond the physical delivery of discs. Netflix actually lost 55,000 subscribers so far this year and is now down to only 6.74 million customers. Income and revenue, though, are up. And the Netflix Watch Now service streams movies on demand. Hastings says that shows where the company is going. By the way, you can read the full article. Uh, There's a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com, to the Mercury News website. Hastings admits that Blockbuster is better known and is larger, about five times larger, actually, than Netflix. But, he says, our view is that the smart money is that they can't sustain the battle. Last year, they were $251 million positive free cash flow. For six months, year to date, they are negative $215 million. Big numbers and a big change. Netflix has been around for a decade. Hastings says that the future is web-based television that will allow users to watch all kinds of video content from all kinds of sources. Thanks for listening. This has been TechBiter Worldwide for the week of August 26, 2007. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website. It's at www.techbiter.com. And you can send an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.